0: Thank you, thank you very much. Boy, I didn't know Christmas songs could sound that good, I'll tell you. Let's open our Bibles today to the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians, chapter 1. If you didn't bring your Bible uh, today, uh, there's a red one there in the um, pew in front of you. Um, I think the page is 787. In that Bible. You'll notice that Ephesians is right next to Galatians there. We're going to read one verse in Galatians. First of all, we'll look at Ephesians. I'd like to talk to you this morning about the plan of Christmas. You know, whenever we look at the great events of the Bible, uh, we uh, have to remember that uh, from God's perspective, uh, they're not accidents. Uh, they're they're pre-planned events. And here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I love that verse because, because that verse says that every single believer has access to all of God's blessings equally. You know, as you walk through your Christian journey and you look at other people, I know that sometimes you feel intimidated You think, boy, they really have an inside track in God. I wish I did. Well, the Bible says here that God's blessed all of us with every one of his spiritual blessings. And then he goes on and says, just as he chose us, he blessed us and he chose us. He selected us before the foundation of the world. And, you know, this is always neat to me because what this means is uh, before God said, let there be light, he was thinking of you. You were on his mind before the world was created Uh, and so God has such an intense uh, planned interest in you and your future that you were on his mind before he created the world he chose us in him before the foundation of the world uh, that we should why did he choose us that we should be holy and that means separate that means separated to God that means a person who is following the Lord that's why God chose us without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons. Uh, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be a part of his family. And it's wonderful to be a part of the family of God isn't it? You know uh, there are many people you you get to know in life but the but the people who are connected with Jesus that you get to know in life, you get to be with him forever in heaven. And so our family has a, a powerful spiritual connection. I've had people say to me, you know, I, I love my natural family, my biological family. I'm close to them. But, you know, I really feel so good about my spiritual family. Uh, I really feel like I'm really, really connected with my spiritual family. We are through Christ. predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And so you and I today, if we're walking in the will of the Lord, are living out God's plan for our life. I think God has a big plan for the world, of course, but he also has a plan for our life and your life and my life. We're not here by accident. Uh, We're not just uh, here to take up space on planet Earth. God says, listen, I have a little track for you to run on too that that connects with my big plan for the world. Now look over to Galatians. That's just a few pages to the left from where you are. Galatians chapter 4. Now this is a Christmas verse right here. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman born under the law, To redeem them who are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. There's that word again. God's plan for you is to be a part of his family, his spiritual family. He says, listen, he sent his son to redeem us, those of us who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Father. I want to encourage you to believe the plan of Christmas with me this morning. In the Bible, as you read it, there are two types of time mentioned. There's chronos. That's the Greek word chronos for time. If you look on your wrist, if you check your cell phone, most people get the time off their cell phone. I guess it's more accurate. Uh, That's chronos time, time in succession, time going in this direction. It's the time you can't stop. It keeps racing on. Uh, You keep racing against it every now and then. I know I do throughout the day. I keep looking at it. I keep running. I've got to be here at this time. That's Kronos time. But there's another time in the Bible, and it's a different kind of time. It's called Keros. And that's appointed time, sometimes predetermined time, uh, events that God predetermined that's going to come to pass on earth. And what happens is this Kronos time just keeps marching on like this, And all of a sudden, it intersects with Kairos time right here. And there is this tremendous fulfillment of something very important. Well, uh, Jesus uh, referred to it in Mark chapter 1, verse 11. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus came here, he said, listen, this is Kairos. I'm here for a purpose and I'm here on time. And the kingdom of God. Heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In Colossians chapter 4 verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. The word time there is kairos. Redeem your appointed time. Every one of us have been appointed a time, and our time is now. The only time we have to serve the Lord is now, right? And he says, listen, I want you to redeem the time, and that means I want you to use it don't waste it treasure it Uh, use it uh, as a valuable gift from me Um, I think of 1st Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 and 6 Uh, it says there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus who gave himself to be a payment for our sin that he might be testified in due time Uh, whenever Jesus came it was right on time well You know, there are many things, and I always like to look at this every year, there are many things that God had to put together uh, for this event to take place, Christmas, Bethlehem. First of all, God was listening to the evil of the world. You know, we look around the world and we say, isn't God paying attention? Uh, Well, when you read the Bible, you find he's paying very close attention. The scripture says he knows all the thoughts of all the people all over the world. That's pretty powerful. You know, the world was sending a message back during the time of Christ to God. And you know what the message was? We can't help ourselves. That's what the message was. Um, We can't help ourselves. I was reading uh, about Seneca, the Roman philosopher. You know what he said? This is what he said about the world back then. The world is full of crimes and vices. More are committed than can be cured by force. That means they didn't have a police department big enough to handle the crime he also said uh, crimes are no longer hidden but open before everyone's eyes innocence is not only rare it's nowhere during the around the time of Christ innocence is not rare it's nowhere you know there's nothing as precious as innocence is there you know, when you look at these precious little kids we have around the church, and these little kids you're raising in your family, and you look into your eyes, and you just say, "Man, I, the thing I regret most is they have to wait if they have to grow up, and have to see all this stuff that's going on in the world, and they have to, uh, they have to be, they have to be hurt." Well, back during the time of Christ, Seneca says, "Listen, there's no innocence anywhere." He also said, "We need salvation. What what we need is a, a hand let down from heaven to pull us up." You know, all of history from the Garden of Eden was a preparation for the coming of the Messiah, God's final solution to man's greatest problem. That's Jesus Christ. It was uh, back when Christ came, it is now. Against the backdrop of Genesis 3, history is written. Let's look, We, uh, we have Genesis 3. Let's read it together, okay? I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head. Now, this is a prophecy concerning Christ, right here. Uh, God is talking to the devil, and he says, Listen, I'm going to create a warfare between you, the devil, and the woman, Uh, uh, between your descendants, your seed, and her descendants. There always has been a war between good and evil in the world since the very beginning. God says, listen, I'm not going to let Satan capture this world uncontested. I'm going to raise up a godly seed. And he did that through the nation of Israel, the woman. And then he says, out of her seed, he, notice that, a person, he shall bruise your head. He's talking to the devil. We believe this happened on the cross, that Jesus dealt the death blow to the devil when he died for the sins of the world on the cross, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, history is written against the backdrop of this verse right here. Uh, you and the woman will be enemies. Uh, someone said that history is a long series of disasters. Satan has a way of keeping those things going, doesn't he? Uh, it's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, And so God was listening to the world and the world was saying, listen, we can't help ourselves. Uh, I want to just uh, talk to us a little bit this morning about those 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, You know, the preparation, what planning did God really put in, in motion? Well, here we have the prophecy right here. One of these days he shall bruise, your head, Christ, shall in effect crush the head of the devil, deal him a death blow on the cross. But, uh, but how is this whole plan going to be, gonna be uh, worked out? First of all, I think this. God speaks through silence. Uh, and uh, the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament were called the silent years. God didn't send any prophet during that time. Now, God had sent many prophets in the Old Testament. That was his method but during those 400 years he sent none. Uh, the heavens were silent. God didn't speak verbally, but he uh, he was speaking non-verbally. I guess you could say if we looked at the body language of the world, something is going on. Uh, I like Luke 3.15. It talks about the people back during that time expected something to happen. They were in expectation. Uh, you know, have you ever expected something to happen, just knew it was going to happen, and And uh, that's what they did back then. The last time Joanne and I went to the nation of Israel and we took our tour, uh, there were banners all over town, all over Israel, big banners. Israel is expecting the coming of the Messiah. And they are. And they're hoping every day that the Messiah comes. They really are. Well, uh, these people were expecting the coming of the Messiah also during the time of Christ. When he came, they didn't recognize him. They were looking for Messiah King, but Jesus came as Messiah the servant. Well, uh, God was uh, creating something here in the world during this 400 years that the people didn't understand. I think Daniel chapter 2 verse 21 uh, is, is very applicable here. Let's read it. And he changes the times and the seasons and he removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Now we just look outside, he changes the times and seasons. He does that pretty well, doesn't he? Uh, He removes kings and raises up kings. Uh, This is comforting, isn't it? We look out at the world and we say, why is this person ruling over here? Well, let's just read this verse. Why is this person in power here? We ask that question quite often, don't we? Well, here the Bible says that God is ultimately in charge of putting people in positions of power. And so uh, back during this intertestamental period, these 400 years of silence, God was uh, doing something, preparing the way for the coming of his solution for man's greatest problem. Uh, even before the 400 years, God chose the nation of Israel. That was going to be his chosen people. And those people were going to be a light to the world, and he brought them all into the promised land, the Canaan land, to teach them. First of all, they were taught in the wilderness. Then they were taught in Canaan. And then, you know what he did, is he dispersed them. And so that leads us to our second point. God speaks through dispersion. Uh, whenever you look at the nation of Israel, uh, I know you start to cheer when Joshua starts bringing the nation of Israel into the Holy Land. You say, This is really wonderful. They have a land of their own, they have something they can call their own. And then your heart begins to break when you see them come, uh, Satan come against them and drive them out of their land. Well, what happened is when this took place. One of those uh, dispersions was way back in 721 B.C. Uh, they were taken into Assyrian captivity, in the Northern Kingdom, and uh, and God says, "Listen, it's going to happen to the the Southern Kingdom if you don't learn from the Northern Kingdom." And they didn't learn, and so Nebuchadnezzar came up around the year 605 B.C. and and uh, took a whole group of people down to Babylon and destroyed the temple, and uh, everything looked grim and 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 terrible, And, and we just thought this is a real frustration with God's plan. But it wasn't. God was scattering his people. He was building little colonies of Israelites around the world. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said, there is not a people on earth that is not a portion of us. God took his people. He had trained them. He had taught them, and he dispersed them through persecution And we look at it and we say, man, this is really terrible. But God has this way of working things out for his what? Good. All things work together for what? For good. Okay? And so God's plan's marching on. And so what happens is these people that were scattered from the nation of Israel, they built their little synagogues, little lighthouses all over the world. I've told you before, people ask me all the time, why are there so many different churches all over the place? Well, it's always been that way. Uh, Back in the time of Jesus, there were little synagogues all over the place. Uh, They couldn't offer their sacrifices there. Uh, The temple was destroyed, but uh, synagogues were for teaching. In fact, synagogues were used to preach the gospel in the early church. A synagogue was a school. It was a library. It was a worship center. It was a center of social life. Next Sunday, we're going to have Jeff and Arlene Berg here uh, in our in our church. There are missionaries on, in the Monroeville, Shady Side, Squirrel Hill, Oakland section. Missionaries from our church and other churches uh, to the Jewish nation, and uh, they understand what a synagogue is. Uh, they're well connected in that area. A synagogue was almost a precursor of the church and the Sunday school. It was the social center of the Jewish world. And uh, whenever they built these little synagogues, they, they had to have ten families in order for, to justify a synagogue. And so every ten Jewish families, they would build themselves a little synagogue, and they were all over the place. And, uh, and in that synagogue, they would have teaching and preaching and singing, and, and uh, it, was their, it was their church. It was where they went together to worship the Lord. And God was planning these synagogues all around the world. Uh, and he was going to use them uh, whenever Jesus came into the world to preach his message. Uh, that's where he was going to start. He was going to start preaching his message uh, to people who already had a foundation to build upon. Because the people that gathered in the synagogues, of course, were believers in God. Uh, some of them were proselytes, they had, they, were, they had believed in God out of heathendom, and others were called God-fearers, and that means they were on the journey of believing in God. And so we still have that similar situation today, don't we? Uh, no matter where you go to church, no matter how small or how big that church, there are people who are, are believers. There they are, they're believers. Uh, there are people that have, and they've been believers from their parents and their grandparents uh, in this long succession of believing. And, and then there are proselytes, people who have been rescued out of darkness, people who have just come into the faith. And then there are people who are on the journey. They're called, they were called back in that day, god fears They hadn't made the commitment, but they were on the journey. Well, uh, God speaks uh, through nations also. In this intertestamental period, the 400 silent years between the Old Testament and New Testament, God brought certain kingdoms to power. You know, we live in America. We think America should always be in power. Well, that's, that's kind of naive, I think, to think that because uh, there aren't any nations that don't fizzle out after a period of time. Uh, the Persian nation came to power during the 400 years and, and God used them Uh, to be a friend to his people. Remember, Cyrus was there and God said in the Bible, Cyrus is my servant. Every time I read that, I'm shocked. Cyrus was a bad guy. God says, listen, relax. He's my servant. He does what I want him to do. Uh, I like that. Uh, Cyrus uh, was kind to the Jews. Uh, Proverbs 21.1 is a, a verse that we always need to remember. Let's read this the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and like the rivers of water he turns it wherever he wishes now just remember when you look out at the world and you see all these all these powerful people that their heart is in the hand of God and God can just turn them and twist them any direction he wants them to go in and there was the Persian Empire and God did that to Cyrus there was the Greeks and Alexander the Greek came on the scene and and uh, he rendered God a great service too. Uh, he declared that the whole world should speak the Greek language. Uh, similar to English today. Chuck, you were telling me you travel, you've travel traveled all over the world in your business and, and uh, almost everywhere you go they, they know different languages but they, they come together around English. Well, back in this day, uh, back in this day, uh, it was Greek. Uh, Alexander the... Uh, said, "Listen, the whole world's going to learn Greek, and so therefore they did. And uh, they took the Hebrew Old Testament, with, ol- with only a few people could understand, and they translated it. I wonder who was behind that. And they translated it into Greek, the language that everybody could understand. And so it became the Greek Old Testament, became the Bible, that everybody toted around, and that uh, that was preached from, and the." And the Old Testament quotations that we have in the New Testament are primarily from that Bible, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And so they were creating a language. God was creating a language so that when Jesus came and sent his disciples out, that they wouldn't just go to Jerusalem and and, uh, Samaria and Galilee they would go into all the world and be able to communicate with all the people. How cool. God was planning this whole thing up. And then, after the, uh, after the Greeks came the Romans. And that's when, when you get into the New Testament, you find that Rome uh, was in charge of the then known world. And, uh, and the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2 was Caesar Augustus. Uh, remember, he said, "Listen, all the world is going to be registered for taxation." They wanted money, and uh, and so the Jews weren't happy with this because the Romans were were overlording them. They were really and uh, and they didn't want to pay their money to the Romans, but they didn't have any choice. I was just thinking the other day, I wonder how many tea parties they had back in that day. They probably had a lot, uh, and so Rome. Uh, Rome came on the scene and they were builders and uh, some of the roads and the bridges that Rome built are still standing today. And what they did is they created a relative peace uh, in the world at that time. Of course, it was peace on their terms. But, you know, peace on anybody's terms is not too bad. It really isn't. I remember when we used to take groups to Haiti and I used to think, man, this this is really peaceful down here. Well, you know why it was so peaceful? Because the big guy was in charge. And nobody did, nobody did anything, nobody went any direction because they knew what was going to happen. It was peace on his terms, but it was peace. And after they got rid of the dictator, all Hades broke out. There wasn't any peace. And so back during the time of Christ, Rome was in charge and the peace was over the world. And so God was putting these puzzles, and, and you know, I know you can study this in any good study Bible. God was putting all these pieces to the puzzle together, the Greek language. He was going to use that to promote the gospel. The Roman roads, the bridges, Uh, those are the roads and the bridges that the apostles would walk over. And God was putting it all together. And then all of a sudden, now let's go back to Galatians chapter 4, okay? Verse 4. All of a sudden, we have this verse. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God sent his son. What does that mean? That means that Jesus came out from God. He was pre-existent with God. Jesus was not just created when he came and was born in Bethlehem. He existed before that with his father in eternity. Remember John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and what? And the Word was God. Let's say it. The Word was God. Before Jesus was called Jesus, He was called the Word. And so He was. He came out from God. He was preexistent. Sent forth denotes His deity also. He was the Son of God. He had to be fully God for his sacrifice to have infinite value, inestimable worth, so he could cover the sins of all humanity. Uh, Who is going to die for all the sins of all the earth? Uh, Well, it had to be somebody like him, so valuable that the value of the sacrifice would be able to pay the sins of all of humanity. And so he had to be fully God, and certainly he was. Uh, The Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But the scripture says that he was born of a woman. He had to be fully man too. He had to take upon himself the penalty of sin as the substitute for man. Man had to pay for the sin that he committed. And so Jesus said, okay, I'll become a man. Just think of that. The Bible says, the soul that sins, it shall die. In other words, the man that sins, he shall die. And so God's justice required a person, a man or woman. And so Jesus said, okay, I'll become that person. I'm God, I can do this. And so he came down and he not only was fully God, but he was fully man. And uh, he came down for a purpose, a uh, to redeem those who were under the law. He was born under the law, and that meant he kept the law. But he came to pay the price for those who were living under, under the burden of the law. And, uh, and this, was, this was important. Jesus was obligated to keep the law, and he perfectly did. But there was this whole group of people that were trying to keep the law for their salvation, and they didn't know what to do. Uh, and uh, they were trying to live under its demands, and consequently under its curses. Look back with me to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, please. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so Jesus came down to, to take upon himself the curse of the law that humanity had incurred because they couldn't keep the law. And the curse was that he uh, was hung upon the tree for our soul's salvation. He became the curse that that we were supposed to be for our sins. He became a curse for us. He observed the curse pronounced on those who violated the law. And he did all of that so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. Um, whenever a person is born the first time, they're they're born into the family of the devil. I told the people the other day, uh, you don't really understand this until you have teenagers. It's like, holy cow, what happened to my kid? Uh, I was out in I was out in a grocery store the other day, and this little kid, and even little kids are like this, we think, where on earth, what, where'd they come from? This little kid. He was causing so much trouble. And his parents was going down the aisle like apologizing, telling him, he's two, he's two, he's terrible too. And I tried to console him. I said, well, listen, he'll probably grow out of it. <laughs> and I think it really helped the guy. I, tell you. I think he was thinking, if this is the way it's going to be, we're, we need a refund. <laughs> Please. I mean, this is not what we had in mind. I said, now listen, he'll probably grow out of it. And it's consoled him for a little while. But then I should have said, wait till he becomes a teenager. Oh, I couldn't lay that on the poor guy. He couldn't even get through the terrible twos. But you know, whenever a person is born the first time by nature, he's born into the family of the devil. And I'll tell you what, that's not hard to believe, is it? Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. But when a person is born again, he, uh, he enjoys the family of God, and that's a wonderful thing. God says, come on into my family, put your feet under my table, I'll be your father. Now this is so neat right here. Look at verse 6. Uh, and because you are sons or daughters, God has sent forth the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. When a person accepts Jesus as their Savior, God sends his Holy Spirit into our heart. And when God's Holy Spirit comes into our heart, we are intimately connected to God. So much so that, that we are so free and open with God that we call him Abba, Father. The word Abba is a very interesting word. It means daddy. Most people in the world feel that you know God is way out there and it's like, whoa, he'll never get close to me. And the, the Bible says, listen, I'm sending my spirit into your, into your heart and you can call me, uh, because of the spirit of God, your daddy. Now that's, that's precious, isn't it? There's nothing as precious as some little baby coming to his father and using those little words like papa and daddy and mama. And, and the, there's nothing as precious as that. And so God says, This is how close I want to be with you. Uh, I, I want you to have this unique, wonderful, warm, tender relationship with God Almighty. I'm your heavenly Father. We came to do this for you and me. And he brought it all together uh, into one package at Christmas time. God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. My question to you today is, are you in the family of God? The only way to join that family is by faith in Jesus Christ, by embracing Christ and Him alone. Not Christ in the church, not Christ in communion, not Christ in catechism. Christ alone is our Savior. There's only one Savior in all the world, and that's Jesus. And if you're looking in any other place for salvation, you're looking in the wrong place. Uh, When you come together at the foot of the cross, someone said one time, nothing in my hand I bring, only to thy cross I cling. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I'd like to ask you today, In light of all that we've said, are you in the family of God? Are you, have you come to the time and place in your life that you've received Jesus as your Savior? Uh, I want to encourage you, if you're along that journey enough today, I want to encourage you today to, in your heart, open your heart to Christ. Invite Him into your life, turn away from the sin of your life and turn to Christ and repent and uh, ask God to forgive you and never has a seeking sinner and a seeking Savior ever failed to meet and so if you're ready today to invite Jesus into your heart just I want to ask you to do it right now right there in your pew you don't have to come forward you don't have to have an emotional experience you just have to be honest with God get brutally honest with with the Lord Dear Lord, I thank you for your word and how you show us the plan of Christmas. I pray that all of us will be stronger today because of what we've seen today in your word. Just, uh, Lord, for those in our church that are along the journey today, I just pray that you'll bring them all the way, all the way to the foot of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray.